Welcome to the HT Cambridge podcast. For more information, see our website, htcambridge.org.uk. This morning's reading is taken from Matthew 27. Um, In the Bibles and the pews, it can be found on page 998. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field, as the Lord commanded me. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas, So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. 
Good morning. Um, those who don't know me, I'm Ollie. I'm the, I'm the curate here, and um, I'm um, married to Lois, and I have two children, one of those with one who was screaming earlier. Uh, and um, yeah, I, I, um, my wife said just before I came up to me, if you hear screaming and whooping, don't worry, it's not for you. It's the marathon. Thanks, honey. Um, anyway, well, it's great to, to be here. Um, what we're looking at today, in, uh, this morning, is the last hours of a man's life. And I believe if you were to meet any of the gospel writers, they, I'm sure, would say that this is the most important thing that Jesus did. As they all dedicated like, most of their material, most of their text, to um, this part of Jesus' life. And I'm going to try and explain as simply as I can why I believe Jesus is so important. Not just as an historical figure or as someone who uh, teaches with great authority, but because because of who he claims to be and what he's willing to do for each of us. So in this passage, we are presented with this question. The most important question uh, that could, any, uh, could anyone ask is asked in this, in this passage. In verse 22, it says this, What then shall we do with Christ? Pilate, um, he found himself in a pretty unbearable dilemma to know what to do with Jesus. But he was not alone. Pilate represents every man, woman, boy and girl on the face of this earth. All are faced with this question. What then shall we do with Christ? And at the end of this, um, this sermon, uh, I'm going to give an opportunity for us each to respond in our own way. If some of you don't know Jesus at all, there will be an opportunity for you to respond in some way. And if some of you have been known Jesus for you know, all your life, for many years, then but there's also other things we can respond to and to know to this question. What are we going to do with Christ? So just to, to set the scene of this passage, Jesus um, has just been um, betrayed by one of his closest friends, who is Judas. Judas had been with him for, for three years, had been part of his ministry, and Jesus would have loved this man. But he'd been betrayed. Jesus had been betrayed by him, and now he has um, been arrested. All the disciples, all the other 11 who had followed Jesus and have sacrificed so much to follow him and um, go wherever Jesus went have now scattered and deserted him in his hour of need. Peter, who not long before had spoke, told Jesus that he believed that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. But now he's come to a point of denying even knowing Jesus' existence. Not once or twice, but three times. So Jesus is alone. And this passage starts after he spent a night in prison being interrogated. So Jesus is on trial in this uh, this passage. And the first thing I want to look at today um, is looking at the innocence of Christ. Because it's in this passage I see there is such strong evidence of of Christ's innocence. In verses 1 and 2 it says this, Early in the morning... All the chief priests and the elders um, of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. 
So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Jesus had stood trial with the, with the Jewish leaders, and as a result, they wanted him dead. What, what was the charge? What did they have against him? Blasphemy. Because Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, which, of course, is true. Jesus does claim to be the Son of God. And now they wanted rid of him. They wanted him dead. For this to happen, they needed the Romans to get involved. For the, for the Jews, they didn't have the power of execution. They had to go to the Romans to, for that kind of punishment. However, they knew they couldn't just go to the Romans and, and ask for a man to be crucified for blasphemy. The Romans didn't care so much about having to deal with religious disputes. So the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin plotted and looked for evidence against Jesus. And you know what? They couldn't find any. They couldn't find any. However, great was their hatred towards Jesus that they decided to fabricate evidence. You know, there had to be something that would stick, something that would appear to be high treason against Rome. Only then would they get an audience with Pilate. So, so what accusations did they come up with? Well, we have to look in the Gospel of Luke for this. It says in Luke 23, verse 2, he says, And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payments of taxes. And he claims to be the Messiah, a king. You see, if they make Jesus out to be a rebel, a, a revolutionary, then the Romans would take notice. You know, they, the Romans had very limited tolerance with uh, those who went against the system. And they had crucified many, many other Jews who had tried to revolt against their government. So they came up with this fabricated charge that Jesus was a threat to Roman security. That he subverts our nation, a rebel who's stirring up the people to kind of oppose Rome and getting a large crowd together and saying, hey, let's do something different. Or that he abstains from paying taxes. You're not giving to Caesar what is Caesar. And more to the point, he's actually telling other people not to pay taxes as well. And finally, he claims to be a king and is setting himself up to be a, a, a rival to Caesar himself. And we see at the beginning of this chapter, this has all been made up on the spot. The early morning gathering was when this lie was born. Here they came to their decision, this would be the best way to get rid of this man Jesus. And of course, these accusations are completely false. Jesus, he didn't subvert a nation to rebel against Rome. He never led a social revolution. He, he never rebelled against Roman oppression. Instead, he taught that people should respond to a, properly to authority over them. He taught that people should pay their taxes, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And yes, he was a king but not one that was a threat to Caesar. For he actively uh, avoided moves to make him king whenever people tried to put him in that position to overthrow the Romans. He didn't want any of that. All their accusations against Jesus, they were lies. They couldn't find one true thing to accuse him of. The only things they could come up with were lies of such obvious nature that anyone who's ever read this book would, would just know they are lies. 
And Pilate, he, he could see it all. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't dumb. It was obvious. I mean, was he supposed to believe for one minute that the Jewish leaders who absolutely hated him and despised Rome, despised Roman oppression and hated the Roman presence would in fact bring someone to them who they believed was a threat to Rome? It sounds pretty ridiculous. Anyone who was a threat to Rome, they wouldn't give them over. They would, they would hide them away and they would follow them and, um, so they could join their revolution. Pilate, he knew it was all a setup. He knew, as it stated in verse 18, that it was out of envy that they handed him over to them. What were they envious about? Well, they hated that Jesus could do things that they couldn't. He could heal people. He, he taught with great wisdom. He removed diseases. He raised the dead. And, and they couldn't do that. And he was popular, and they weren't, and they despised him for it. They hated him for it. In the end, both the courts, whether the religious courts that mocked Jesus and ridiculed him, or the the courts conducted by a coward named Pilate, they came up with the same verdict. They both had to manufacture lies to, to kill Jesus, for there was no dirt on him. He was completely innocent. I don't know how you may react to someone who falsely accuses you of something. I imagine like most people, you you would make a noise, you'd plead your case, you'd kick back, you may end up even throwing a little bit of mud back. How did Jesus respond? His attitude uh, demonstrates his absolute perfection. Literally, verse 12 says, And while he was still being accused... So they just started screaming the accusations at him constantly, fiercely. You know, Roman rebel, tax dodger, wannabe king, just throwing abuse at him. And he answered nothing. Not a word. What else was there to say? They had made up their minds. The verdict had been given. He had been pronounced guilty. Total injustice was being met by total silent suffering. There was nothing to defend. For Jesus, he knew he had to die. It was the Father's will for his life, and he was committed to it. So he is silent. And Pilate said to him in verse 13, Don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. You see, even Pilate is amazed. He had lots of prisoners uh, um, and a lot of people condemned. And here was someone that was being um, accused of outrageous crimes and he said nothing in his own defense. Pilate would have seen many people who would plead their cases, cry out for mercy, make plenty of noise against those who wanted to convict them and charge them of their crimes. He'd seen people demanding exoneration and pleading their innocence. But here is Jesus, absolutely quiet, not saying a single word. Where is the troublesome revolutionary who is a threat to Rome? 
Where is this tax-dodging protester who is leading a nation in social revolution? Where is this king who is meant to be a rival to Caesar? Well, what we have here is a calm and peaceful man who is offering himself without reason. You see, Pilate knows he is innocent. And Jesus confirms it by saying nothing. He would willingly go to the cross. But why would an innocent man be willing to die? Well, that's my, my next point. We've looked at the innocence of Christ because he was innocent. He was blameless. There was nothing that could stick on him. But the second thing, it is the love of Christ. In Romans 5.8, it says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the first in this passage that we're looking at, the first sinner that Christ was going to die for, to lay his life down for, it wasn't for a righteous person. It was for a hardened criminal called Barabbas. Verse 15. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Now this was no ordinary prisoner. He was one that was known to the people. We know from the other Gospels that um, he was a, a robber and he'd been part of an uprising against Rome and, and in which time he'd actually even murdered someone. So Pilate believed this was a, a good way to get rid of this situation. If we give the people an option between, uh, this, between this hardened criminal murdering Barabbas or Jesus the Christ, then surely the people will want Jesus when given this stark uh, choice. Even a pagan like uh, uh, Pilate knew the difference between Jesus and a criminal like Barabbas. But things, they didn't go to plan. The chief priests had manipulated the crowd. They stirred them up. They got them to scream out for Barabbas to be released. And Pilate, he seems stunned by this whole, whole scene. And he asks his next question, then what shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Christ? Yeah, Pilate He's given in. He doesn't want to take the responsibility anymore. He, he's offering it to the crowd. He wants them to make the choice for him. And they shout, crucify him. Pilate's like, but why? What crime has he committed? You see, Jesus is innocent. I want every one of us to know this morning the testimony of Scripture that again, when all is said and done, when we've seen all aspects of this trial, that Jesus, he comes out blameless. Do you see it? No accusation stands against him. Pilate is saying, what has this man done? But Pilate, he was no match for the crowd. They wanted him dead and they, they couldn't control him. He couldn't control them. So he washed his hands of the situation and handed Jesus over to be flogged and beaten, as we heard in that passage, and ridiculed and mocked. And while that was going on, Barabbas is set free. Jesus gets beaten, mocked, and eventually crucified. And Barabbas is set free. This whole incident 
It's just kind of full of irony if you look at it. The one who refused to take up arms as a freedom fighter was crucified on the cross of Barabbas, the freedom fighter. And on that Good Friday, the one ended up on the cross intended for the other. And the guilty man walks away free. This is, what, this is a picture of what Jesus does for each of us. A picture of what the cross really means. Jesus took Barabbas' place. He took ours also. So you've heard the evidence against Jesus that in all charges, he was blameless. You've heard how Jesus, out of love, gave himself up willingly for a sinner like Barabbas and a sinner like you and me. The question now is, what will you do with Christ? What is your response to Christ? Well, like the, the religious leaders, you might be offended by Jesus' claims to be God. It just makes no sense to you. That, and you've, and you, maybe in the past you've dismissed looking to it any further. It's just an outrageous claim that a man on earth can be God. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, maybe today you'll take this opportunity to look into the evidence of Jesus. You could read one of the Gospels. A good place to start is uh, you could pick up one of these John Gospels at the, at the back. And, and in here, it gives a bit of life, uh, the life of Jesus and some of, the, uh, kind of some of these outrageous claims he says about himself. And have a look into the evidence. And maybe you want to ask yourself, if, if God were to come to earth, would he look a little bit like Jesus? I believe he does. And I would love you to try and make up your own mind on that. Another thing we could do with Jesus is we could betray him. Judas knew and loved Jesus, but found the cost of following him just too high. And in the end, he turned his back on him and for a, a, few, a bit of money, which in the end he truly regretted and ended up taking his life. Well, maybe you have known Jesus once before, but have found the cost of following him is just too high, too much. And you know what? The cost is high. It demands your whole life to follow Jesus. But in return, you get life. You get life, uh, you get life right now through this Holy Spirit who enters you and meets with you and changes you and makes you the person that God has created you to be. But it's not just life at this moment. Not just life for, the, you know, for these next how many years you're on this earth, but life in eternity with Jesus in heaven. And we get that because of what Jesus did on the cross for each of us. Maybe like Pilate, you avoid taking responsibility of these type of decisions. Uh, Pilate tried to pass on the decision to others. You know, give it to Herod. He can deal with it. Give it to the crowd. They can deal with it. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus. This morning, you might be a little like that. You want nothing to do with Jesus. Somehow you've been dragged along by a so-called friend who said, you know, just come along to church. And now you've been forced to make a decision that could actually have echoes and massive impact for the rest of your life. I pass so much of my diary and responsibility to my wife. And uh, before I was married, I was very capable of making decisions. You know, someone come up to me and say, hey, do you want to go out and get a drink week Friday? And I go, Yes. Now, I, you know, I, I speak to my wife and uh, I do that because of experience that when I do take a punt, a bit of a risk, I find myself, you know, planning a guy's night on my anniversary. So I've realized <laughs> things like I need to, 
um, you know, go through her. But this is not a decision that, that we can, that can be passed on, not even to your wife. I'm sorry, Lars. These are decisions that we have to make. Pilate eventually made a choice and he chose to wash his hands of Jesus. He didn't want anything to do with it. He heard the evidence, but he chose no more. He fell to the persuasion of the crowd over what he believed to be true, that Jesus was truly innocent. What will you do with Jesus? Or finally, you might be like the centurion at the foot of the cross. We didn't get to this verse. It's verse 54. But the centurion had seen Jesus uh, die on the cross. Say his last words. Die on the cross. He's seen all the things that have happened, that Jesus had been mocked, ridiculed, that he'd been having to carry a, a, a wooden frame up to, uh, uh, to, to the point of his execution and being crucified and how he conducted himself through that whole time. And he'd seen all the evidence put against him. And he'd seen that when Jesus died, there was a massive earthquake. The, the temple curtain ripped from top to bottom, it talks about. It also talks about that some people were raised from the dead. It must have been a pretty intense experience. And this, this centurion sees Jesus at this last moment, and he says this, Surely he was the Son of God. He'd seen the evidence. He heard it. He experienced it, and he just said, yes, this must be true. Some of you uh, may have already made that decision. I made it first at a young uh, uh, age, age 10, actually, and I, I hadn't been brought up in a Christian family, but for some reason my family, except one of my sisters, got taken on a holiday uh, uh, one summer. And um, when we got there, we discovered that it was just full of you know, smiley-faced Christians. It was, a bit, it was a bit strange. And one of those smiley-faced Christians was Diana. If you don't know Diana, well, she's the smiliest person in here, so you'll understand what I'm saying. And um, smiley-faced Christians. And during this, um, this one week, uh, my mum, dad, brother, and sister, we heard the evidence of Jesus. We heard about his life, that he, that he loved the unlovable, that he healed the sick, that he released the oppressed, and that he taught in such a way that even I, at a young age, could not just understand, but be compelled by. We heard that he claimed to be God, that he desired to have a relationship with us, that he loves us unconditionally, and that his entire reason to come to earth was to die for us. Why? Because he loved us and didn't want us to have to pay for the price for all the things that we'd done wrong in our life. That on the cross, he was effectively saying, I will take all those things onto myself. In the summer of 1989, there were five more people who started to follow Jesus. That was, that was my family. One year later, we, we, we dragged my eldest sister to come along to this holiday camp. And, uh, well, she's now a vicar. In fact, so is my brother. But don't worry, getting ordained is not necessarily part of the deal. But, you know, you never know what might happen. Um, now today, you know, you have heard some of this evidence the question we're all asked to make is, what will you do with Jesus? I'm just going to get the, the band to come up. And um, as they do, as I've, um, just consider this. 2,000 years ago, if you'd been invited to bet on what would have lasted the longest, the Greek and the Roman empires and their vast might, wealth and culture, the, um, and those armies had dominated the entire known world for centuries or a nobody like Jesus, and his ill-educated, inarticulate 
kind of more or less forgotten disciples who never wrote anything down, who were roundly defeated and their leader executed? Well, the answer would have been so obvious that what is the point of the question? Well, the empires have been totally swept away. And Jesus' movement, Christianity, is the fastest growing revelation ever. It is not a religion, it is, it is a revelation, it is a relationship with Jesus. And if you think Christianity is dying, maybe in the UK, well, just look at its incredible growth in Africa, China, South America, and the Far East. And the Christian names of Peter, Paul, and Thomas, Mary, Joseph, James, Ruth, Esther, Elizabeth are as popular right across the Western world and have been for centuries. And we call our dogs Caesar and Nero, and we throw bones at them. The great uh, Sherlock Holmes, the detective, says this, When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. And I suppose I've been trying to tell you this morning, is it possible that Jesus was and is who he claimed to be? That he does, in fact, you so, so much that he is willing to lay his life down for you? I'm convinced. What about you? What I'd like to do now is um, we're just going to have a, a, a song of worship. And um, while um, Ed and the band uh, just sing this worship song, you can just sit where you are and just meet with the Lord and say, God, I don't know, I need to either recommit my life to you. If it's my first time, I want to commit my life to you in some way. I want to just you know, ask that you would meet me where I am right at this point. And after this time of uh, and the band going to be playing, I'm just going to read a prayer. And if you don't know Jesus today, what a great opportunity for us to, for you to come and know Jesus today. And um, yeah, I'm just going to pray and then I'm just going to play. Lord, we just thank you for your word and for the fact that you, you are a, not a distant God, but a God that came to meet with us. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who's experienced all the, the suffering and pain of this world. And so you can relate to, to us. And Lord, we're just so grateful for uh, the amazing uh, life you led. And that you were willing and able to be that ultimate sacrifice for us. So Lord, I've asked Lord that you would come and meet with um, each of us right now, wherever we are in this room, and help us to take a, another step towards you today. If it's the first step uh, where we don't even know you at all, Lord, would just help us to do that. And I pray that you reveal yourself to us tonight, right this morning. But if we've known you for many years, Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to keep our eyes fixed on you and to, to learn to trust you even more. Amen.